Welcome to the Word of God. I'm Father Reed. We're so glad you joined us for another edition. And today we will be looking at Proper 15. Proper 15. We'll be studying 2 Samuel, the book of Acts, the close of the book of Acts, and the close of Mark. In fact, all three of them, we are nearing the end of each of those books, 2 Samuel, Acts, and Mark. Well, let's jump right in. In 2 Samuel, we had our intrepid leader, David, who made a monumental mistake in his life by having a relationship with Bathsheba. And the problem was, is that Bathsheba was married. And not only did David commit adultery with her, this is 2 Samuel chapter 11, but he had Bathsheba's husband killed. The Lord took great consequence upon David. Now, he could have killed David, but he did not. He could have also removed him from his kingship, but he did not. Remember, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, he said he was going to make a covenant with David that was going to be eternal. But David had distressed the Lord greatly by having dishonored and disobeyed the Lord so egregiously. And God promised that there would be significant retribution on his part and that it would affect his family profoundly. We saw last week that Amnon, who had a relationship with Tamar, was killed by Absalom. And these were all related, brother and sister. We saw Absalom try to gain advantage because he knew David was eventually going to do something to him. Now, David didn't want to kill his son, but Absalom was starting to gain significant power. Let's go to chapter 17, verse 1. Ahithophel said to Absalom, I would choose 12,000 men and set out tonight in pursuit of David. This is his father. I would attack him when he is weary and weak. I would strike him with terror, and then all the people with him will flee. I would strike down only the king and bring all the people back to you. The death of the man you seek will mean the return of all. All the people will be unharmed. This plan seemed good to Absalom and to the elders of Israel. Now, can you believe this is going to happen? That Absalom is going to try to kill his own father? Okay. Absalom and all the men of Israel said in verse 14, The advice of Hushai the Archite is better than that of Apithomimel. For the Lord is determined to frustrate the good advice of Apithomimel in order to bring disaster on Absalom. So now what happens is they're dealing with different points of view as to what to do. Now, the reason we don't go into great detail in the Old Testament, it's quite complicated, complex. There's a lot going on. And the sections are pretty long. The narrative is pretty long. The history is pretty long. And so I just encourage you to take your time, read through the text, read it slowly so that you can get a good feel on what's going on. In chapter 17, with Epithomimel, saw that his advice had not been followed in verse 23. He saddled his donkey and set out for his house in his hometown. He put his house in order and then hanged himself. So people are dying over this situation. So he died and was buried in his father's tomb. 
Absalom crossed the Jordan, verse 24, with all his men. Absalom had appointed Amasa over the army in place of Joab. And then he says more. Chapter 18, Absalom finally dies. Absalom dies. David mustered the men who were with him, verse 1, and appointed over them commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds. David sent the troops out, verse 2 of chapter 18, a third under the commander of Joab, a third under Joab's brother Abishai, son of Zeruah, and a third under Ittai, the Gittite. The king told the troops, I surely myself will march out for you. And so we begin to see how they began to deal with the depth of Absalom. Joab sounded the trumpet, and the troops stopped pursuing Israel, for Joab halted them. Verse 16, they took Absalom, threw him into a big pit in the forest, and piled up large heaps of rock over him. Meanwhile, all the Israelites fled to their homes. Mm. Absalom happened to meet all of David's men in verse 9. He was riding his mule. The mule went under him. Absalom's head got caught in a tree. He left hanging. He was left hanging in midair where the mule was riding, kept on going. Absalom is just hanging on an oak tree. Even if a thousand shekels were weighed out into my hands, verse 12, I would not lift my hand against the king's son. Joab said, I'm not going to wait like this for you. So he took three javelins in his hand and he plunged them into Absalom's heart while Absalom was still alive in the oak tree. And ten of Joab's armor bearers surrounded Absalom, struck him, and killed him. They threw him into the big pit, as I said earlier. They put heaps of rocks over him, and all the Israelites fled from their homes. David mourns at the loss of his son. So we've lost. Tamar's been raped. Amnon's been killed by Absalom. Joab kills Absalom. David mourns and is very sad in chapter 18 for the loss of his son. He says at the last verse in chapter 18, Oh, my son Absalom, verse 33, my son, my son Absalom, if only I died instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Was it worth it, David, to have a relationship with Bathsheba and lose that son, that child? And then he had Solomon, and Solomon did well for a while, but toward the end of his life, he did very, very poorly. He, had to, he um, disobeyed the Lord egregiously, particularly by having so many wives. And then, again, terror and death came to his home through the rape of Tamar and Abnon and Absalom being killed. David, in chapter 19, returns to Jerusalem. And please enjoy that important reading. He continues on with his life. He has to continue on to lead and guide the people of Israel. And sadly, to deal with this tremendous strife that's going on in his home where his own son was trying to kill him. We jump ahead in the last text to 2 Samuel chapter 23. 2 Samuel chapter 23, the last words of David. 
So we are at the, practically at the end, chapter 24 is the end. Chapter 23, verses 1 through 17. The Spirit of the Lord has spoken through me. His word was on my tongue, verse 2. The God of Israel spoke. The rock of Israel said to me, when one rules over men in righteousness, when he rules in the fear of God, he's like the light of morning at sunrise on a cloudless morning, like the brightness after rain that brings the grass from the earth. Is not my house right with God? Has he not made with me an everlasting covenant, arranged and secured in every part? Remember that covenant I talked about in 2 Samuel chapter 7? So David is trying to get his life right before he dies before the Lord. Now, his life has been riddled with a profound amount of sin and wrongdoing. And next week, we will be looking at the final chapter and looking at the death of David. Continue to read in this proper 15, these scriptures that are posted on uh, this podcast, uh, this program. Please read the scriptures that we have supplied you from Sunday to Saturday. Enjoy reading them from 2 Samuel. We now proceed to Acts 23. Remember, we left our friend Paul. He was going to be killed. The Romans rescued him, and they were getting ready to beat him. And lo and behold, they find out that he's a Roman citizen. Paul is a Roman citizen, and they backed off because it is very dangerous to flog a Roman citizen if he can prove his citizenship. The next day, chapter 22, verse 30, since the commander wanted to find out exactly why, why Paul was being accused by the Jews, he released him and ordered the chief priests and all the Sanhedrin to assemble. Then he brought Paul and had him stand before them. So Paul's going to speak again. Remember, he spoke in chapter 22. He's going to speak again. My brothers, he says to the Sanhedrin, I have fulfilled my duty to God in all conscience, good conscience. Okay? So... We have in Acts another tete-a-tete, -tete, another meeting, another soliloquy of Paul's where he shares with them. There was great uproar, and some of the teachers of the law in verse 9 who were, with the, who were Pharisees stood up. We find nothing wrong with this man. What if a spirit or an angel had spoken to him? The dispute became so violent that the commander was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces by them. He ordered the troops to go down and take him away from them by force and bring them into the barracks. Again, if the Romans, who the Jews hated profoundly, had not been there, Paul would have died. The following night, the Lord stood by Paul and said, Take courage, this is verse 11 of chapter 23, as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify, guess where? Rome. Paul is going to Rome. Now, how in the world he's going to get to Rome? You have to go all the way in this journey to chapter 28. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at chapter 23, 24, and 25 today. The plot to kill Paul. Now, they wanted to kill him. They formed a conspiracy, verse 12. They bound themselves, chapter 23, with an oath not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. More than 40 people were involved in this plot, 40 men. They went to the chief priests and the elders and they said, we've taken a solemn oath not to eat anything 
until we've killed Paul. Now, the son of Paul's sister heard of the plot. He went in the barracks. He told Paul. Paul told the centurion. And what they did is they transferred him to Caesarea in the middle of the night. In the middle of the night. Get ready a detachment of 200 soldiers. Chapter 23, verse 23. 70 horsemen, 200 spearmen to go to Caesarea at 9 tonight. Provide mounts with Paul so that he may be taken safely to Governor Felix. And so he goes to the governor. They write him a note, tell him who this is and what's going on. And he has a trial in chapter 24 before Felix. He talks to Felix. He spends time with Felix. He shares with him. And in chapter 5, the trial before Festus. Now, how did we get Festus? Well, we changed hands. 27 of chapter, verse 27 of chapter 24. When two years had passed, he'd been there two years, Felix was su succeeded by Porteus Festus. But because Felix wanted to grant a favor to the Jews, he left Paul in prison. He was there for two years in Caesarea. And now he has a trial before Festus. And we see this in chapter 25 through verse 27, the whole chapter, chapter 25. He appeals to Caesar. Verse 12, after Festus, had conferred with the council, he declared, you have appealed to Caesar, to Caesar you will go. Though he's got to go to Rome. Remember, God said, I'm going to get you to Rome. So he, Festus, consults King Agrippa, and King Agrippa comes down in verse 22 to hear this man himself. To hear Paul. And so next week, in proper 16, we're going to look at Paul's defense. We have him telling his story in chapter 9, chapter 22, and chapter 26. Paul appears before Agrippa at the end of 25. He says in verse 25, I found he had done nothing deserving of death, but because he made his appeal to the emperor, I decided to send him to Rome. Now, Luke spends quite a bit of time from chapter 23 to 26 to tell the story of Paul's entry in Jerusalem, how the Jews were going to kill him, how the Romans rescued him, how the Romans found out that the Jews were going to kill him even though he was under Roman rule, how he was transferred to Caesarea, how he stayed with Felix and spoke with Felix, and then Festus, and then King Agrippa joins them. And his extraordinary defense we will see next week in chapter 26. So again, enjoy the exploits of Paul. It's actually riveting because there's no question it seems like he's going to die. But God is sovereign and he protected him quite miraculously from doing so. Let's continue with our study of proper 15 with Mark's gospel. Turn to chapter 11. Now, when we left Jesus... He had entered into Jerusalem. We call that Palm Sunday in our liturgical calendar. Jesus goes into Jerusalem. Well, he begins quite 
abruptly with clearing the temple. Actually, in John's gospel, this appears early. But in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it appears later. Now, what Jesus is going to do is mostly he's going to be teaching. So he's in Jerusalem for several days, and at the end of those, end of the week, he's going to be crucified. But we haven't gotten there yet. So what you're going to find in proper 15, we're going to be looking at Luke 11, reading Luke 11, and Luke 12, and the beginning of Luke 13. The authority of Jesus is questioned. Who gave you this authority? How did you come by this authority? Again, tete-a-tete between the Pharisees and the Sadducees and Jesus. He shares the parable of the tenant with them, absolutely uh, speaking to those who were going to kill him. He even talks about the tenants killing the heir, Jesus being the heir. They were looking for a way to arrest him, verse 12 of chapter 12, because they knew he had spoken the parable against him, but they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and went away. Now, they're trying to kill Jesus all the way. Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, lawyers, Herodians even. But the crowd was very large, and the crowd loved Jesus. They were listening to him. And the leaders were afraid of the crowds because the crowds obviously were much larger, and they didn't or couldn't predict what they would do. Paying taxes to Caesar is another great teaching. Gives to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And the marriage of the resurrection, the greatest commandment. What's the greatest commandment? Hear, O Israel, Jesus says in 29 of chapter 12. Love the Lord your God, verse 30, with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. Second, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. He continues his teaching by talking about whose son is the Christ, by quoting David in the Psalms, Psalm 110, verse 1. And then the widow's offering, where you've heard of the widow's might, perhaps, where she offers to give all that she has. I tell you the truth, Jesus says. This poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in everything all she had to live on. And then the last section is chapter 13, 1 to 13, as he talks about the signs of the end of the age. Now, this is a dizzying amount of scriptures, short pericopes, short sections of teachings that Jesus has and encounters, literal encounters with the leadership and with the people. And so he shares with them the truth that he had come to give them as a part of his ministry. Now, the Pharisees and the Sadducees are wait, looking for a way to kill them, and they finally, as you know, find a way through Judas at night. But they're very concerned about the people. And so the people are hanging on his words, and he's healing them, and he's setting them free, and he's sharing truth with them, and they're open to that. But the leadership of the Jewish people the religious leadership is not open to it. And so as we move forward inexorably to chapters 13 and 14, where we begin next week with the end of chapter 13 and the beginning of 14, where Jesus finally is captured, we'll see what happens to Jesus Christ from Mark's perspective. I hope you enjoy your readings this week as you look into David, into Paul, into Jesus. Those are three pretty great figures of the Bible. David the great king, the second king, Paul, the great apostle of God who was saved on the road to Damascus is now is in danger of losing his life at the end of Acts, and Jesus, as he too will lose his life 
to the leadership who demand that he die for blasphemy. God bless you, and I'll see you next week for the Word of God.